Light On, Light Through, Episode 20, Blockbuster, Netflix, The Web, The Future of Watching Movies Out of Theaters. Well, we're in a very interesting time. Blockbuster, the giant, which began by renting videotapes that people played on their VCRs, and more recently, uh, over the last 10 years, has switched to DVDs, is now in a life-and-death struggle with Netflix, which sends people movies on DVDs through the mail. So you don't have to worry with Netflix about late fees, about running out in the middle of the night or during a snowstorm or a rainy evening to return a tape. But Netflix itself is now in for some increasing competition from places all over the Internet which offer movies to people who can just download them or watch them streaming through their computers. So you don't have to worry about the mail, you don't have to worry about a late mail delivery, about somehow not getting your movie in the mail at the exact time that you would like to watch it. We're going to take a look uh, in this episode of Light On, Light Through at both the history of watching movies out of theaters, and we're going to see if we can predict what the future may hold. Now, interestingly, motion pictures began in the first place, way back in the 1880s, as a medium in which people saw the movie in a one-on-one relationship with the movie. In other words, they were not seated in theaters where they looked at something on a screen with a whole bunch of strangers uh, sitting there in the theater with them. And this process, this earliest motion picture delivery process, was called the kinetoscope. And that's the way Thomas Edison, who was one of the inventors of motion pictures, actually more than one person invented motion pictures pretty much at the same time. Thomas Edison in the United States, the Lumiere brothers in France, and John Fries Green in England. But Edison in particular developed this kinetoscope. And what you would do is you would put a penny into it, you'd lean over it, Uh, You'd look through it in the same way, say, if you were at the Statue of Liberty, you know, you'd put your face to this uh, viewer that you could use to see far away. But in the case of the kinetoscope, what you'd be seeing when you looked through it was a little movie that would run across the screen. And, oh, yeah, there'd be a crank on the side, and you would actually be turning this crank, and that's what caused the movie to play. Now, if you'd like to really get a sense of how the kinetoscope works, I was delighted to discover a couple of years ago that up on Cape Cod, in the Brewster General Store, that's located on Route 6A, right in the middle of the Cape, sort of in the crook of the elbow of Cape Cod, if you think about what the Cape looks like. Well, in the Brewster General Store, they have an original kinetoscope, which still works, Nowadays, it costs a quarter. That's still not a bad deal. So you put a quarter into it, you turn the crank, and you see this little movie uh, right in front of your eyes. So that was a a one-on-one experience. Very, very different from going to a theater with a group of people. And as a matter of fact, the theater, as a way of showing motion pictures, wasn't invented until a few years after the kinetoscope. 
and it was first uh, put together in Paris by the Lumiere brothers, who, as I mentioned, pretty much independently invented the motion picture process. And they were trying to figure out how they could make as much money as possible, that makes sense, from their motion pictures. And at some point they came up with the idea of having people come into a theater, just as they do, of course, to see a play. But instead of seeing a play, the people in the theater would see a movie projected on the screen. And fortunately for the Lumiere brothers, there was a new technological development, celluloid, which had been invented by George Eastman. He was the guy who invented the Kodak box camera. And he and his engineers perfected celluloid as a way that you could take a series of still photographs on a roll of film. Well, the Lumiere brothers used this, and they put the celluloid through a motion picture projector, and the motion picture, as something that people would see in a theater, was born. And so this was the great-great-grandfather of the Lois Paradise, uh, the Brooklyn Fox Theater, all the great movie theaters of the 20th century. Now, for most of the 20th century, the way that people saw motion pictures was in movie theaters. But this began to change in the late 1970s with the availability for the first time of videotapes that the public could rent, and uh, the Sony Betamax and the VCR machines, which were sold in those days for thousands of dollars, really began to revolutionize the movie-seeing industry. Now, a lot of people think that it was television that put the motion picture theater out of business. That's not really completely true. In fact, it's only slightly or somewhat true. It is the case that in the 1940s, before television became important, there was a motion picture theater on every street corner just about of every major city, or at very least every neighborhood had its own motion picture theater. And it is the case that as more and more people began watching audio-visual material at home, they stopped going out to the movies, or they went much less frequently to the movies. But the motion picture theater continued pretty well uh, in the 1950s, in the 1960s, in the 1970s. And it was really the VCR and the capacity of people to rent videotapes and see them at home on their television screens, more than what was broadcast on television, that was the ultimate undoing of the motion picture theater. Now, nowadays, there still, of course, are many motion picture theaters, but they've changed. They're no longer at all the neighborhood theater. They're duplexes where you can go in and see, you know, and choose from any one of a dozen movies. And it's still, of course, a motion picture theater, but it's much more of an event to go out to the movies than it was uh, in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and certainly in the decades before that. And so as the motion picture theater changed into something of a special occasion, of a big event, at the same time, and the reason that this happened, was more and more viewers began to watch movies at home. And as the VCR was replaced by the DVD, the quality of the motion picture experience at home 
also increased and improved. And so this brings us pretty much to the present. Blockbuster is still the big force in DVD rental. I expect it will certainly continue that way for at least a few years to come. But Blockbuster has this insurmountable problem, which I mentioned uh, at the beginning uh, of this podcast, of causing people to go out at times that they might not want to go out to return a movie. And uh, even if they did away with late fees completely and they've sort of done away with late fees, but in the end you still have to return the movie, right? Because you don't own the DVD. So at some point in your life, after you see the movie, when you're dealing with a blockbuster model, you are going to be obliged to go out of your way to return that movie. Netflix does certainly improve upon that because all you have to do to return the movie to Netflix is put it in the mail. But as I also mentioned earlier, Netflix has another kind of problem. And that problem is you want to see a movie at the instant that you want to see that movie. And if you haven't had the forethought to order that movie through Netflix, you're out of luck. Now, admittedly, Netflix offers a wide variety of movies, and you get on a plan, and you get a series of movies, and uh, it, it works at its best if there's always a movie that's in your hands that you want to see. But I think that goes contrary to something in human nature, which is if you feel you want to see a movie, regardless of whether you have that movie in your hands or not, you are going to be frustrated if you can't get it at that instant. And so this brings us to the web, which, like no other medium in history, and it doesn't matter if we're talking about movies, if we're talking about news, if we're talking about any kind of information, the great advantage of the web is it's there for you whenever you want it. And furthermore, assuming your connections are working okay and the speed of these connections is getting better and better, you get this instantly. And that's a pretty impressive thing, to get what you want instantly. Well, it seems to me that if we're thinking about the future of how people are watching movies, that nothing succeeds like delivery of movies at the speed of light. So, media take a long time to phase out, and uh, I expect there'll be blockbuster stores around for a while. I think Netflix will uh, increasingly become more important than Blockbuster. But if I had to look 10 years into the future, I think both Blockbuster and Netflix will be vastly less than they are today. They may not go the way of hieroglyphics and silent movies and become totally extinct. But again, nothing beats the speed of light. Now, speaking about the speed of light, I thought I'd introduce a new feature to Light On, Light Through, flashes, which will be just quickies, quick takes about a few media events that I thought you might be interested in knowing about. Well, first, you probably have heard, unless you've been uh, on another planet, about the terror scare in Boston this past week. 
when the Cartoon Network was promoting one of its shows and they put these little flashing things around Boston and Boston officials overreacted and shut down bridges and everybody was frightened for a while. Well, here's my take on that. Where were the media? Where were the reporters? Why can't the media do its job and investigate a little further before just going out and blaring forth whatever story they happen to come upon? Reporters and the media should be more than passive conduits of what government officials tell them. Another story that attracted my interest, you may have heard about, Viacom was not able to reach uh, an agreement with YouTube and now is threatening to pressure YouTube to take YouTube to court to have all of Viacom's material removed from YouTube. And of course, Viacom owns CBS and many other media outlets. You know what? Viacom is a lumbering dinosaur with its feet firmly planted in the receding quicksand of the 20th century. In another 10 or 20 years, there won't even be a Viacom. The age of network domination of the media is now in rapid decline. So, here's my advice to the executives at Viacom. Wake up, get with it. You should be thanking your lucky stars that there is a YouTube to show your content, to keep it still of interest to the population. And last, this has nothing to do with the media, but I couldn't help noticing it anyway. And you may have heard about the Yale professor who basically sent out an email to students at Yale not to have sex in the showers. Apparently a couple was going at it in a shower and it caused some kind of flood. Not a flood of protest, a flood of water. Well, you know what? Memo to Yale. Get better drainage. And as far as the professor is concerned, mind your own business. Teach your classes. Don't try to teach students how to behave. That's not your job. Even if you are master of whatever residential facility those students may be living in. Now, if you'd like to read more about these flashes, go over to paullevinson.blogspot.com and you'll find uh, a whole bunch of essays on these topics. And uh, you'll also find at the bottom of each of those essays a place where you can dig them, where you can go over to Delicious and Reddit uh, and talk more about them. So I'm going to be doing a lot of these things uh, from now on and uh, I hope you join in. This podcast is proud to be part of the Blueberry Network. That's blueberry with no ease dot com. Hey, if you want to make an impact online, check out GoDaddy.com. It has .com names for as low as $1.99. Plus, they have world-class hosting, fast and easy website builders, and much more. And if you mention the special code POD4, that's POD4, you'll get 10% off your web hosting. Or BLU4, that's Blue4, gives you 10% off everything else you may buy at GoDaddy.com. Promo. 
Hey, that's our promo suite. And first, let me thank Patsy Terrell again for that fine blueberry.com community message. By the way, if you'd like to uh, find out more about Patsy Terrell, she has a, a podcast, a website, a blog, all kinds of good stuff. And you can find out more about her at patsyterrell.com. That's P-A-T-S-Y-T-E-R-R-E-L-L.com. Now we have some great promos for you. First, uh, starting off as always, MikeThinks.com. Check out his latest podcast. He has a great piece about online dating that you want to listen to. And we have some very special promos here for some new things. One that I'm very, very pleased about. I mentioned last week uh, that my friend Sean Farrell, who does the Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing.com podcast, is now recording a patio book of my first novel, The Silk Code, which was published back in 1999, and it won the Locus Award for Best First Novel of that year. And Sean is now, I guess, he has about five or six chapters uh, finished. There'll be over 20 chapters in this uh, patio book, and you'll hear a promo for that patio book coming up. And also a promo for the sci-fi show. Now, actually, that's not new. You've heard those promos before. But what is new about JasonSciFiShow.com, and that's Fi with a PH as in philosophy, is on tomorrow's Sunday's show, he'll interview me, and actually the interview already took place, but since I'm now talking about this and it will be in the future, he'll be interviewing me about the chronology protection case, my time travel story, which as you know was made into a radio play. Hey, if you want to listen to that radio play, we had a contest a while ago, but just go on over to lightonlightthrough.com and look at the show notes for this episode, and I'll have a link in there for the chronology protection case. And the reason why I was so careful about saying it's going to be in the future and I'm talking about it today is, you know, whenever I talk about time travel, I always try to be as precise as possible because you never know what might be really going on in this universe. And you'll also hear a promo for my man Jake's Just Not Right. I won't even talk about it. Just listen about it, to it. You'll hear some crazy stuff in there. Uh, in particular, uh, some pieces from Jake's uh, <laughs> letters from a Utah nut. And if you hear a familiar voice in there, well, hey, don't hold me responsible. Oh, and um, last week I made a mistake uh, when I told you to listen to podcastpendulum.com. Actually, the name of the show is Podcast Pendulum, but its address is podcastpendulum.podomatic.com. And again, I'll put a, a note about this uh, on my uh, on the show notes for this episode. Okay, listen, I had a great time talking to you as always, and I'm looking forward to next week. In the meantime, sit back, relax, enjoy.
check out the Mike Thinks podcast, www.mikethinks.com. News and current events with an opinion. The Mike Thinks podcast. It's the news you missed. www.mikethinks.com. Coming soon from patiobooks.com. The day started just like any other day. Always does. Until I watched one of my closest friends die. Right in my arms. Nothing I could do. But his death was a beginning, not an end. And now I've been thrust into a timeless conflict of pyromaniac insects and instant mummification. A war within our very genetic makeup. And when the powers of the ancient world collide with modern technology, no one is safe. Not me, and certainly not you. I'm Dr. Phil D'Amato, NYPD Forensics, and the only way to save myself is to solve the mystery of the Silk Code. The Locus Award-winning novel by Paul Levinson comes to life in this free podcast novel. Journey into the ancient world, witness the wonder of ages past, and join Phil D'Amato in a struggle against forces both ruthless and unseen. Visit www.thesilkcode.blogspot.com to learn more about the author and the novel. And subscribe today at patiobooks.com. Join the battle, witness the wonder, or forever be victim to the awe and power of the Silk Code. Phil D'Amato is ready. Are you? Did you walk out of the Matrix and wonder if you're a battery in a jar? Did you walk out of Daredevil and wonder, what is it like to be a bat? Do you and your friends stay up at night debating good and evil in the Star Wars universe? Does the question of life, the universe, and everything intrigue you? Then open your mind and tune into The Sci-Fi Show, thescifishow.com. And that's five with a PH. Do you remember what he looked like? Hey, this is Jake. I do a show called Just Not Right, the podcast. You can find it at notrightpodcast.com. It's funny, fresh, entertaining. I mean, sometimes I'll just take the mic and say, Hey, oh my, you look nice. You are wonderful. Thank you for listening. You are the best. Check it out. There's a segment called Letters from a Utah Nut. It's hilarious. I know you'll love it. I'm writing this letter in regards to your giant D sign located in front of your store. I want to climb it. Please do not climb the sign. Would it be alright if everyone from our company just started singing? Although we enjoy our customers' enthusiasm for our product, it is strange and unusual for large parties to join in chorus in our lobby. Is it okay for me to be using Windex as a cologne? All S.C. Johnson products are extensively evaluated for toxicity and safety. <laughs> Hilarious! Do you remember what he looked like? NotRightPodcast.com See you there. In a world full of hopelessness and despair, only two guys had the power to deliver the world from certain destruction. Nathan and Carlos are... Podcast Pendulum. Watch it all unfold at podcastpendulum.podomatic.com.